Good morning. Welcome to Winter in Texas. Y'all did it. Uh, my name is Kevin Barra. Um, I'm the lead pastor here at Bayou City Tomball. Hope you had an amazing Thanksgiving. I'm sure it was not normal for each of you, but I, I'm, I hope that it was uh, restful in some ways and got to spend some time uh, with some family. Um, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, so be flipping over there. Um, and we are coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and I hope you're excited about what uh, God is doing for us um, as we come to the end of this section. This is a powerful section where Jesus is calling us to come to a decision. And there's lots of things to be thankful for in this season, but I think of, of all the things we can be thankful for, the gift of Jesus Christ is what we can most be thankful for in this season. And that, that really is the gift that we're going to be talking about this morning. So Matthew chapter 7, looking at verses 13 and 14, says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you, Jesus, that you call us to decision. You call us to look at what you have laid before us, and you've called us to make a decision on whether to follow you or whether to to not, and... um, I know there's so many of us this season that are, um, are weighed down by so many things. There's so many challenges that we're facing in this season. So Lord, I pray that amidst all of those challenges, we can put them aside and say, I don't know all of the answers to those things, but I can know the answer to this thing. I can know Jesus. And if I know Jesus, I know who I'm following and I can trust in him. So Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, you would open up our hearts that we might be people that follow decisively behind Jesus. Lord, we ask this, use this time. Amen. Um, well, when uh, I was in high school, about 17 years old, uh, my family took a, uh, a trip to go to my uh, cousins to see their wedding. And so we went to Bogosa Springs, Colorado, and we're excited to go to Bogosa to, to one, celebrate my cousin and her wedding, but also a second piece that we get to hike and explore some of the mountain areas uh, in Bogosa Springs, which is a beautiful area of Colorado. And so we go there, and my uncle uh, leads us on this hiking adventure. Now, my, my uncle is a seasoned hiker. He just looks like a Colorado mountain man, like big beard, uh, lots of flannel. Like, you could just tell he looks like a Colorado mountain man. And, and so he leads us out on this amazing hike, and we go uh, hiking up Pagosa Peak, and that's one of the kind of famous mountains in, in Pagosa Springs. And so as we start this hike, um, it is absolutely beautiful. And the hike always starts a little bit easy. It starts kind of down into a, a valley, and it's beautiful, lush, amazing. And then it gets a little more difficult as we start heading up these switchbacks. And it gets a little bit steeper, the air gets thinner, and it's a little more challenging as we're getting higher. And we get to one point along the trail, along the hike, where um, we look over and we see that my uncle is starting to trudge through some snow across the surface of this mountain where the trail had gotten covered by snow. And he looks back at us, and now I'm right behind my uncle, and my cousin Kim is right behind me. And as we're right there hiking along, um, he looks back at us and says, okay, 
um, it's going to get harder before it gets easier. He says, we're, we're going to go across this mountain terrain and um, we're going to have to go up over this ridge and kind of climb our way down. It's, it's going to be a little bit uh, rocky in this. And he goes, um, you've got to make a decision at this point. Either you're going to continue to go forward or you're going to turn and go back. Now, there's a long line of our family, and I, I see like all of the back half, more than that, but the back part of the line going, we're going to go with your Aunt Nancy back home, and they kind of take the easy way, and my, my uncle, myself, and my cousin are standing there, and I'm going, I guess I'm following you. And he begins to take one snow trudge step after another across the face of this mountain. All of us in life will make decisions. We'll come to moments in life when we have to make a decision. Which way are we going to go? It's often been said that life is like a journey, and I think that's an accurate representation. It is a journey with decision-making along the way. We all have to make decisions in life. Like, which high school or which college am I going to go to? Which school am I going to go to? Will I take this job or not? Will I date this person? Will I marry this person? See, all of us face decisions in life. And decisions shape your destination. What you decide will determine where you end up. Decisions are powerful moments in our life. And Jesus in this moment, we're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is asking us to make a decision. He's been teaching. He's been describing what it looks like to follow him. And he comes to this moment at the end of the, the, the Sermon on the Mount saying, I want you to make a decision. Which way are you going to go? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there's really a, a couple couplets that, are, that he's ending with. It could be described this way, that there's two paths, two trees, two claims, and, two, um, and two, two builders or two foundations. And in this particular sermon, what we're going to look at are the two paths, the two ways that Jesus is calling us to follow. He says there's two ways that you can go. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book on the Sermon on the Mount, says this, It is not an invitation to come and view a wonderful prospect or to sit in a gallery and look at an arena. We are meant to be participants in this. It's a call to action. And at this moment in the sermon, he's saying, I'm calling you to make some decisions. And in this section in particular, he shows us that there are two gates and two paths that lead to two destinations. There's two gates Two paths that lead in two destinations. And so he wants us to first know where to enter of the one or two gates. To know what's along the journey, the two paths. And to thirdly, know the destination. Where do these two end up? At the beginning of this section, he says, I want to first look at the two gates. And there's an invitation. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. There's two gates. There's a wide gate and a narrow gate. And it's interesting, he says the word enter. The word enter is a verb and it's also a a command. He says, I want you to move in this direction. I want you to enter this way. It's basically like Jesus is a coach. He's called halftime. And as they're there in the halftime moment, he says, look, you're here in this space and you've got a decision to make. You can either go this direction or that direction, and I'm not going to make it a mystery. I'm going to tell you clearly, enter the narrow gate. Go this direction. He says, enter, go this way. And he calls it a narrow gate. The word narrow could be, uh, means restrictive, or to cause trouble, or even to be crushed 
or distressed. He says, I want you, in looking at these two gates, I want you to go to the gate that's a lot narrower. That's going to be close quarters. That could be a little bit confining in some ways. And I want you to go through that gate. Jesus is calling us to make a decision. To make a decision of whether or not we're going to go through the broad gate or the narrow gate. And what's the difference? Well, throughout this entire teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been calling us to make decisions. And he's been contrasting two ways of living. He says there's the way that the Pharisees live and there are ways that I'm teaching you to live. And so when he goes through the Ten Commandments, he says, hey, you've heard it said by the Pharisees, but I say to you, he teaches us how to, how to live life, how to engage with our neighbor, how to, how to engage in marriage, how to engage with people. He says, you've heard it said this, but I'm telling you, I want you to live this way. He tells us how to pray. He says, you've seen the Pharisees, the way that they pray. They pray hypocritically. They, that they pray thinking they'll be here, uh, heard or seen by others because of their lofty prayers. But he says, here's, here's how I'm telling you to pray. You, you pray, our Father who art in heaven, and you come humbly into his presence. He says, he's contrasting this all along the way. And he says, I want you at this moment to make a decision. Are you going to follow the way of the Pharisees? Or are you going to follow my path? And Jesus, all throughout his teaching, and even in the other gospels, calls us to make a decision. He calls us to uniquely go to him. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In that moment, he's making an exclusive claim. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus, he is uniquely the way to God. Make a decision. In John 10, 9, he says this, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus makes an exclusive claim. I am a unique way to God. That's different than everything else. And you have to come to the moment where you make a decision. He says, I want you to not merely make a decision between the gates, but I also want you to look at the paths. Because the paths go in two different places. Not all paths go to the same destination. Not all paths end in the same place. I want you to make a decision among these two paths. He says, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who find it. The word wide could uh, mean just wide or broad, but he also says it's easy, which means spacious. Meaning, you can bring all of your baggage and carry-ons along this journey. There's a wide way where you don't have to get rid of anything. All of your thoughts, all of your desires, all of your aspirations, the wide way is, is full easy for all of your baggage. You have to get rid of nothing. And he says, it's well-traveled. It's a well-traveled way. It's popular. It's the popular way. It's interesting that word, the way, is also can be translated a highway. He's like, one of these paths is like a highway. You can load up your truck and trailer and you can travel this highway easily. You don't have to get rid of anything. Head down this direction. But he says, there's a second path. That one's narrow. And when I'm saying this, there's a broad way and a narrow way. What Jesus is saying is, look, there's a way that the world is going. And there's a way that requires you to to shed nothing. That's the broad way. And you've probably heard this type of description in talking about religion or faith or the way that people live their life. They, They often describe it in a broad way. They'll describe it like this, that there's basically a mountain to reach God 
and there's lots of paths up to that mountain. And every path will ultimately lit land at the same place. That's one way of describing the broad way. Another way to describe it uh, would be like blind men and an elephant. That all the religions are basically like blind men trying to feel their way to God. It's like feeling an elephant. Someone feeling the leg, someone feeling the side, someone feeling the trunk. And each person is basically giving you a perspective of God. And, and all of them are, are trying to find their way there. But they all are talking about the same thing. And Jesus actually saying, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. When you say that all directions lead to the same destination, or that all... Uh, all attempts at reaching God are the same, Jesus is saying, actually, that assumes you have an outside perspective. It assumes that you can see the elephant, or it assumes that you can see the mountain. And Jesus is saying, actually, no, y'all don't see it correctly. Y'all are all looking at the same thing. All paths don't lead to the same place. And we're not all feeling the same thing. Everyone else can travel that direction, but I'm calling you to live completely differently, have a completely different perspective on life and faith and everything else. There's a narrow way I'm calling you to. Not every direction leads to the same destination. I can't get on I-10 and head west and be upset that I don't land in Europe. I mean, it seems obvious, right? But if I get on I-10 and I'm driving in my car and I start heading west, I'm like, please help me land in Europe. You would say, Kevin, you're dumb. Because not only is that the wrong direction, but that vehicle is incapable of getting you to where you're wanting to go. Like, that's wrong. You are going the wrong direction and you're doing it in the wrong way that will never get you to where you want to go. And some of us play that with faith. We're just like, I'm just going to get in my car and start heading somewhere and hope that it gets me where I want to go. And Jesus is saying, that's not how it works. Your direction determines your destination. Not wishful thinking, not hoping it'll get me there. He says, there's one way, there's two paths. There's a popular path that everyone's going down and there's a narrow path and that's the path I'm telling you to go down. And it's restrictive in some ways and it holds you in in some ways. He says, I want you to really make a decision between the broad path and the narrow path. Which direction are you gonna go? Now, as soon as I say that, you can say to me, well, Kevin, um, it seems that Christianity in many ways is needlessly narrow. I mean, is it possible for Christianity, this narrow path, to be needlessly narrow? Absolutely. Christianity is needlessly narrow in a couple ways. First, if if it says only a certain type of person can come, and that's, that's not true. Anyone can come on the narrow path. He says, it's an invitation. Enter the narrow path. He says, everyone, come along this way. It is open to everyone, but it is narrow. So it's not narrow in who can get there, and it's also not narrow in style. There's not a certain type of song you need to listen to or a certain Bible you need to have or or any of those things. Those are all narrow things that we kind of put onto faith. And Jesus is saying, no, no, the the, the version of the Bible, the style of worship, who can come in, those are narrow things that, that have nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not narrow in that way, but he's narrow in this way, that he calls you to follow him exclusively. And he calls us to follow him only. And it's that way that it's narrow. It's narrow in his call to simply 
follow him. G.K. Chesterton says, the Christian life has not been, um, the Christian life has not been tried and found wanting, but it's been found difficult and therefore left untried. It is difficult to say, I'm just going to follow Jesus Christ and no one else. And at one level, you can say, man, it just seems really narrow, Kevin. But on another level, you can say, actually, narrow is helpful. It's needed if your life is on the line. So if you're on a plane and you're flying from Houston to California, my sister lives in Northern California, so if I'm on a plane, I'm going to go visit her in Northern California. I don't want the pilot to have just a lot of wiggle room in his decision-making. I don't want him to be there going, hey, we took off and we need to land. How would you like to land, Kevin? I would go, uh, that is not up for negotiation. I'm not trained in landing planes. That's your job. This is why you get paid. Like, why are you do nothing for several hours and I need you to land the plane? Like, that's, that's where you make your money, right? We also want our doctors to be narrow, right? If you need heart surgery, I don't want the... I don't want the physician to go, hey, what do you want in your chest? Like cow heart, pig heart, liver? Like what do you want there? I, I don't want him to be broad. I want him to be very specific. Get me the heart that's going to keep me alive, right? We love narrow things when, it, when it's about life. And Jesus is saying, this is what this is about. This is about your life. Because there are two gates. There are two paths. And there are two destinations. He says the gate is narrow, And the way is hard that leads to life. There's few that find it. He says there's a broad path and there's a lot of people on that path and there's a narrow path and there's only a few people on that particular path. He says, I want you to make the decision for the narrow path. But we got to ask the question, well, what's on the path? What does it look like to be on this path? Well, what Jesus is contrasting all throughout the Sermon on the Mount is two ways of living. Either you live a life of self-justification or you live a life of justification by faith. The Pharisees lived a life of self-justification, meaning I think I can live a good enough life to earn the smile of God. I think I'm good enough. And most of our culture lives this way. We believe that we can live good enough lives for God to accept us. And that leads in one or two, one or two places. The destination is one of two places either in pride or despair. Pride because we achieved it or despair because we could never achieve what we hoped to get. And Jesus says, that's the end of this. You're either going to die prideful because you did it and wish that all those people had been as great as you or you're going to die despairing that you never achieved what you hoped for. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, says this, there's only two kinds of people in the world. There are those who say to God, they bend the knee and say, thy will be done. Or those to whom God says, thy will be done. There's only two kinds of people. Those who bend the knee to God and say, your will be done, God. Or to those who said, God, God says, okay, your will be done. He describes it this way. All those who are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there is no hell. As, as you think about the, the reality of these destinations, one leads to destruction and one leads to life. One of the things that, the, the, the challenges that we have in the version of, of an actual destruction is this. We like, it wouldn't be right that God would send anyone there. 
Like that seems horrible. And I agree, that would be horrible if it was forced upon people. But the way that the Bible describes it is this, is that that path is chosen freely by a person. He says that the, what happens is that person chooses to live apart from God. And God says, you can live apart from me. And what will happen is the inevitable results of that life. So think about it this way. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis describes this reality. I think it's a helpful picture of this. Of someone who chooses to live willfully apart from God. He says, Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. And this must be either true or false. Now, there are many things of which are not worth bothering about if I were only going to live only 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are gradually getting worse, so gradually that the increase in 70 years will not be very noticeable. But it might be absolute hell in a million years. In fact, if Christianity is true, hell is precisely the correct technical term for what that would be. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying there's certain people that are going to come to me exclusively for the forgiveness of their sins, those who are going to bow their knee to me. And there's other people that are going to live however they want. And those people are going to be allowed to continue to do that for all of eternity. So think about that playing out. Think about if all of your worst qualities were enabled, enabled to grow for all of eternity. So your anger, it starts as like a low grumble. But that anger without the intervention of God is allowed to grow and fester. And so that at a point, it's no longer separate from you. It consumes you. Or think about your jealousy. I'm jealous of this person or that person. You kind of deal with it now, but over millions of years, if that jealousy is unchecked by the Spirit of God, if God does not move into your life, that jealousy will not become something separate that you deal with. It can become consuming so that you hate everyone. And the description of humanity that is allowed to live separate from God and those things allowed to grow for all of eternity, the result of what you and I would be left away from God's intervention in our life would be destructive. We would destroy ourselves. And what Jesus is pointing out is, look, when you live apart from me, when you live apart from my intervention in your life, the worst of you grows on for eternity. But if you come to me, you bow your knee to me, I will forgive your sins and cleanse you so that you don't go further into more destruction, but you come to me and I change you from the inside out for all of eternity. And instead of growing from worse to worse, you grow from glory to glory. And Jesus says, if this is what's in front of you, there are two gates, two paths, and two destinations. There isn't one simple way. Everyone has to make a decision. What am I going to believe with my heart and life? And not every direction leads to the same destination. He says, you have to make a decision. When I was there on the side of the mountain with my, my uncle, 
I'm standing behind them, and as he begins marching his way across the mountain, making step after step, I remember looking down the side of the sheer snow cliff that was there, and I was like, what did I decide to do? (laughs) I'm just terrified. And as we're taking one step after another, he says, okay, we finally reached the clearing. And we're just focused in on his back. And he says, now we've got to hike over here, and we're going to have to rock climb down this other side. And I said, we're going to do what? And it was probably only like 15 or 20 feet. But when you're up on a mountain, 15 or 20 feet sounds like a chasm. And I'm like, you're, we're going to do what here? He's like, yeah, we're just going to go down the other side. And he goes over and starts climbing his way down. And then my cousin Kim goes over and she starts climbing her way down. And I'm standing at the top of that going, uh, I don't want to be here anymore. And I look down and I'm like, I, I'm stuck. And she said, my cousin Kim says, I'm going to direct you down, but you've got to trust me. She says, turn around and face the mountain. She goes, reach down with your foot. I reach down with the other foot, and I reach down with your hand. And she directs me hold after hold down the side of the mountain. And at one point on the mountain, I just freeze up again. I'm like, I, I can't go. And she goes, just trust me. And they together led me down the path. And as soon as I hit the ground... I turn and I look behind me and I see this beautiful mountain lake and these beautiful elk walking behind the lake. My uncle leans over to me and goes, see, it was worth it. It was worth it. Is the way to life narrow? According to Jesus, yes. It's through the person of Jesus Christ. Is the way of life difficult to follow as following a Christian? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a narrow way. But is it worth it? Absolutely. Because at the end of eternity, we get to stand back and look with God at all he has done in on through our lives and all that he is bringing to eternity. Is it worth it? Absolutely. The missionary David Livingston spent most of his life in Africa preaching the gospel. He says this, For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office as a missionary in Africa. People talk of the sacrifice I've made for spending so much of my life in Africa. Is it a sacrifice which brings its own reward of healthy activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a view, with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice, say rather a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then, with the foregoing of common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and sink. But let this only be for a moment. All of these are nothing when compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I never made a sacrifice. I know for many of us right now in this moment, we have made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. We were young when we prayed the prayer or we got baptized. And for those of us in that camp, it may be a time to make a decision again to say, Jesus, 
I'm only going to follow you. And I'm recommitting my life to simply follow you. For others of you, you've actually never put your faith alone in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You've kind of trusted in yourself or your circumstances or your good looks or your talents or whatever to lead you well in this life. And Jesus says, actually, none of that's going to save you. None of that's going to rescue you. It's only through me that I can save you. And for you, it's to simply pray, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I have lived selfishly. I trust you for dying in my place for my sins. And he forgives you completely in this moment. I don't know where you are this morning, but I do know Jesus is calling us to make a decision. And a decision to follow is worth it. We pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Jesus, thank you that you call us to follow you. And it's not because you're rude or judgmental, it's because you're trying to show us the path of life. So Lord, I pray for each person here that we would do a moment of reevaluation to simply ask the question, Jesus, have I put my faith wholly and solely in you? Jesus, am I willing to only follow you? And Lord, if there's some people here this morning that have never taken that step, I pray that as the prayer team comes up, they would come up in faith and say, Lord, I am a sinner and I want to pray to receive Christ. Lord, please help us to be a people that follow you above all else. Senior, me pray. Amen.